Welcome to Imaging of Things, from mind to page, an inside look into the printing industry. Welcome back to the Imaging of Things, a podcast that focuses on giving fun, informative insight into the evolving world of printing, packaging, and beyond. I'm your host, Nick Benkovich, the prophet of print and packaging. This week, I'm joined by Jim Rosenthal, president of Philadelphia-based PDC Graphics. Jim has been a part of PDC since the late 90s and is always someone that is looking for ways to offer new and creative solutions to their customers. He's a techie at heart, but is someone that understands not just the technology, but also how the technology can impact his business, customer relationships, and the market. So, Jim, you and I have known each other for a few years now, and um, I know you're really a tech guy at heart, uh, from business to the car you drive. So, what what drives the interest in technology for you? I, I guess it started, you know, way back when I was a little kid. You know, I got in trouble for taking apart my grandmother's TV because I was curious what made it work. So, you know, kind of, I think curiosity kind of drives my interest, and I've always been curious uh, about a lot of things and curious about tech. I I started playing around with the old uh, Radio Shack TRS-80 uh, computer when they came out. The, I taught myself how to program in BASIC. I wrote a, a paper inventory program for a printing company on a Trash-80 computer. And, and it's just sort of continued through, through college and then in, into my work life. Wow. So, all right, um, let's, let's get to know Jim Rosenthal. So outside of work, what keeps Jim busy? What keeps Jim excited? So I have uh, two great kids. I have a, a 23-year-old daughter who uh, graduated from college, graduated from Lehigh like myself, uh, and has a great job working for EY in New York City. And then I have a 16-year-old. Uh, both, both my kids are girls. Uh, she's a competitive dancer. So while I, I didn't get to coach her in softball, I get to watch her do these amazing dance routines. And uh, we go from you know, being both are highly intelligent, uh, funny, you know, great kids. So they keep me busy. And of course, I have a great wife who who keeps me probably, you know, doing the right thing most of the time. And then outside of, outside of work, I, I play tennis, I play golf. Jim, I got to ask you about the dancing too. Do you ever get into the dancing yourself? No, no, <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, it's, it's, as a matter of fact, I, I don't, my, 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 16-year-old is adopted, so there's literally no relation to the two left feet that I that I have. <laughs> Excellent. So um, let's uh, jump into the business talk. Um, uh, PDC's tagline, I, you know, I jumped on your website, print-driven communications. I hear that we've been in the communications industry for years, but when you say print-driven communications, what does that mean to you? And, and more importantly, what does it mean to your customers? You know, I think if you if you go back to what we are at heart, we're ink on paper people, and and we've 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 stuck by that. Uh, you know, there's been this evolution of printing companies to to being market service providers and and uh, you know omni channel providers, and there are a lot of companies that do that really well. Um, but we found what works for us is putting ink on paper or ink on substrate. So when we went through a rebranding several years ago. We, we really looked, we were a combination of a couple of different companies, Paradigm Graphics, Digital Color Graphics, which was Paradigm Digital Color Graphics, which was PDC. And we were really <laughs> trying to find meaning in, in kind of the name of, of what we did. And, 
and and we really looked at it and and what that's what we do we provide communications for our clients to for their businesses for their customers but we do it with print interesting you've been um i, I looked at uh, your profile and as i said you know you and i know each other pretty well and You've been there for 22 years, and, and 22 years is a long time to be in the same place. Is it the same organization you joined, and, and how has it changed no. for you? No, it's it's really not. It's very different. It's a very different business climate we operate in for, for many obvious reasons, but then but then some not so obvious. Uh, I, I grew up around uh, the idea that, you know, when it was film on plates on paper, as a matter of fact, I have uh, some old uh, California job cases that were made into tables. Uh, so I saw this industry, you know, way back when it was, I'm aging myself, but, you know, with metal <laughs> type. So when we put together, to, uh, you know, what's now PDC Graphics, it wasn't all about the upfront technology and uh, workflow and kind of the stuff up front that make the stuff in the back go faster. Um, it was real, real, very much more of, hey, we'll take your order and we'll process it and we'll do something with it, you know, either printing it digitally, toner or or offset and mail it. And, and that's it. That process has changed a lot. Yeah. And and so I guess one of the challenges that I hear for a lot of people is, you know, to maintain the revenue they had five years ago, 10 years ago, they're doing two, three, four times the amount of work that they used to do. Is that is that sort of what you're seeing? I would say that it's not more work. I would say that it's different work. A printing company could do 100 jobs in a month and at a, you know, a certain dollar volume and, and it was a good month. You know, we sometimes put out five, 600 orders a month you know, 30, 40 a day ship out our door. And some of those have multiple pieces to many locations. So it's it's not the amount of work. It's the kind of work that's really changed. So you've got to manage a massive volume of work. It sounds like the complexity of the, of the products is changing, the multiple mm-hmm. pieces, the multiple ship locations. Uh, how does technology play a role in that for you? If you go back to, uh, you know, kind of your original question of how, how I got here, it's all it, it's about how we apply technology and how we look at things like computer software and apply it to make that that workflow that product or that group of products be able to pre- be produced quickly effectively uh, with the least amount of hu- human intervention etc that that's you know sort of the heart and soul of how I grew up and I, if you want to say it's in our DNA a little bit it's how we how we look at how we solve problems for ourselves and for our customers. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I often hear, you know, I talk to lots of printers, obviously, and and a lot of them will tell me, you know, about the exciting new piece of hardware they bought. And and they always seem to be able to justify big hardware investments, but software is is almost seen as the necessary evil. You and I know each other well enough. I, I see you at lots of trade shows. I see you at lots of events researching uh, do you see software as a, a strategic investment for your business? Oh, yeah. I think we justify it. If you go with the notion that we're some of the reason we're in business is to make money, not just to make people happy. If we're in business to make money, it's it's not just, look, our goal is to keep the cylinders turning. We have heavy iron. We have digital. We have pieces of, of, of hardware. But the only way anything gets there is via software. So that's equally as important a component. And I think you could really look at it as an ROI computation. 
some people say, oh, you know, $100,000 for an MIS system or an accounting software, or that's just an expense that I have to do. But, but if you really look at the effect that it has on what goes on behind the scenes, you could, you could make a return on investment argument for that very quickly. And I guess I want to dig into that. You know, when you're thinking about return on investment on the, on these software purchases that you make, is it time saved? Is it serving the customer better, improving your employee's life? What are the ROI things that you think about when the software investment? Uh, it's, it's all of those. I mean, if you if our goal is to service our customers, right, how, how do we communicate with them in the fastest, most effective way? Well, the only way we're going to do that is if we have data at our fingertips about how much the order is going to cost or where their order is or when it's going to ship. That revolves around uh, software and it really permeates all the way through. So it's not just saving time. You know, that's its simplest form. Oh, it's going to save you five hours a day. Well, it's not really saving you five hours a day if it's enabling you to do other things. It's and it's what I said before. It's it's you're changing the work you're doing. You're still working, but you're just doing different work. And and the and the software it, it's going to save you here, but it's going to make you be able to do something else over here. And and that's and generate more revenue. And and that's kind of how you how you look at it. Yeah, that's perfect. I think that's an interesting way to look at it. The the five hours saved is five hours I could be doing something else that generates revenue for the business. We had a conversation uh, several months ago, and there, there's a particular aspect of work that we do for one of our customers. And our customer service person, when, when they heard that this work was going to come in and it was going to come in the way it was going to come in, you know, they almost turned white. You, you could see the panic. And they said, how am I possibly you know, going to do this? I said, well, we're going to automate it. And, and they said, well, how are you going to automate it? And there was like this panic, you know, and I said, you, you, you sort of have to trust this process and you have to give yourself permission to allow yourself to process it differently, to trust that we're going to upload a bunch of stuff. We're going to upload a spreadsheet. We're going to throw it in and something's going to happen. And those hundred pieces that you had to do by hand are just going to happen automatically. You have to trust that it's going to be right. So that's, that's kind of how we think about it. Yeah. And I think as, you know, you, you mentioned that the work has changed over the years. So I guess that's sort of driven a, a change in the, the level of automation, the type of automation, the, sure. the challenges around the automation. Yeah. And it permeates everywhere. It starts with, you know, order intake. If you look how people order today, it's not a nine to five, you know, come in and pick up an order you know, here's an order. It's it doesn't work like that. They're coming at all different times from all different people and all different combinations. So, you know, you're really hitting people with a lot of information, a lot of different information, some of it on time, some of it not. So there has to be a way to sort of aggregate that all together into a production plan for a project. And then at the back end, how do you get it all out the door? How do you how do you track it? How do you let uh, give people data about where their project is, all of that, you know, one, a person can't handle that manually. You know, it's just, it's too much. And there's too many moving parts that for it to, you know, sort of go by here, here's where your job, but you just can't do it. You can't manage it. So yeah. you really have to hit automation at all those levels. So, you know, there's a million software vendors out there and, and you've probably got two or three key vendors that you work with. Mm -hmm. So, so what makes a good vendor become a partner, I guess? I think it's the same thing that, that makes us a good partner for 
uh, one of our customers. It's you're you're having a conversation with them, you're understanding uh, their pain points, and then you're coming to them with solutions or a discussion around what a solution might look like to to make to improve that pain point. Uh, and that's you know it's it's a very two way uh, street. I, 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 it's very unlike you know, restaurant, you go in, you order a meal, they hand you a meal, hopefully you like it, you leave. And if you don't like it, you don't come back. Well, a software vendor or any vendor for that matter can't work that way because you're, you're, you're in it together and there has to be a, a two-way communication and a two-way dialogue that, that, that works and that, that moves things along in a positive direction for both. Parties. Yeah, I, I guess you, you know, I would sort of paraphrase that to shared success. You know, yeah. the the partner's success is your success. You're more successful, they're more successful, and mm-hmm. it, it becomes a symbiotic relationship in many ways. Right, right. And both sides have to want that to happen. You know, if, 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 that's, not, if that's not part of how the relationship is structured, it's just not going to work. Or at least from our perspective, it's not. Yeah. So well, over the years, you've, you've made lots and lots of software investments. I, I always put guests on the spot and ask them the same question. What was the investment that you made over the years that just totally surprised you when you thought, wow, that was way better than I thought it was going to be? That gave me a much better return on investment. Well, I, I would say, you know, th- there was, there's a, a little piece of one of the, one of the software platforms we use a real little piece, and it was an automated layout tool. And that that probably has been the most valuable piece to, to how we function. Really? And and the return on investment was profitability returns for you? Well, and not in a real sense, but in a from a productivity standpoint and from us having to only do certain things once, it, it, it made a huge difference. That was the Maybe 15 years ago, I was at a I was at a, a trade conference, and someone really pontificated about how the idea of software in our industry, the structural change was it was moving all of the stuff that was done, quote unquote, behind the glass by planners and and schedulers and all that stuff was moving it all up to the front where people who never did that job before were going to own responsibility for it, and it became very difficult for people who weren't production planners, who weren't um, necessarily estimators, who weren't scheduling people, it came, became very difficult for them to understand the importance of that to a job functioning correctly. So that little nuance opened, opened Pandora's box in terms of van- visibility to make that happen. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a challenge. How do you go with, you know, let's, let's focus on that, that great investment or, or a couple of great investments what's the ramp up time? You know, when do you see your return on investment and, and how do you focus on finding the right people in your organization or getting the right people in your organization? So I think there, there are really two questions there, right? The, the first question is, you know, how, the return investment. Some things you look a little bit longer term, you know that they're going to take a while, that there's going to be changes in what you do. There's going to be organizational changes you're going to have to go through. There's training. There's uh, sometimes you have to run parallel systems. So those things, you know, it could be instantaneous that they start paying off as soon as it hits the floor, or it could be a year, year and a half. And sometimes it requires you to change people, right? You, you have people who fight this idea, and it take they're good people. They worked for you for a long time, and then you have to say to them, look, the reason this isn't working is because of you, not because of the software. So 
you know, that's the first question. And then the implement, implementation part, you know, that, that's probably the place we mo- a lot of companies stumble. Um, and I can tell you that we've stumbled over it, that you don't have the right seats in the right chairs to get your implementation where it needs to be. And sometimes you get a, a frustration level and you say, yeah, it's not going to, you know, people say this is not going to work. Well, it's not that it doesn't work. It's just not implemented properly. And you have to go back and kind of take a couple steps to go forward. So implementation is a huge challenge, particularly when we're running lean with short staff or we're trying to, you know, keep things to our expenses to a minimum. That, that That's a huge challenge. Yeah, and that's that's interesting because it's a conversation I constantly have with with customers, and, and when I'm talking in the market, people will often say to me, "How long is it going to take to implement that piece of technology?" Well, it's somewhere between six months and five years, and people say, "Wow, that's a really huge span." And the bottom line is, it comes down to what's your level of engagement, what is mm-hmm. the team that you assemble around it, and and what's their level of motivation to get going with it. Right, right, and 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 there's you know. Sometimes there's a little bit of a, uh, a chasm between what an implementer's thought on what the process should be and what a company's process should be. And sometimes there's an argument, you know, do you adjust the software to, to, to your business process or do you adjust your business process to the software? So th- there's a lot of that give and take and, and it requires engagement. If you're not engaged and you just let it go, it's not going to get done properly. If you don't have eyes on it, it's, it's just never going to work. You're an interesting guy. And, and I, say, I say that with sincerity that, you know, it, what I find always interesting about you is for the, for the senior executives I meet for printing companies, you're one of the most engaged in understanding how the technology works, not just the, the 50,000 foot, hey, yeah, it does imposition. It's going to be magic. You want to get under the hood and I, I guess that sort of comes back to your pulling apart grandma's radio story. Um, do you still get to play on the software these days? Oh, yeah. every Yeah. I mean, I, so I, I, good news, bad news, however you want to look at it. I, you know, I sort of own that part of our business. Um, so that's, that's, in, that's my area of responsibility. Um, do I get to do all the things I'd like to do with it? No, because I, I just don't have all the time. But I, I do get to play around with it and look into it. And it's always fun to to understand what someone was thinking when they came up with a feature and 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 trying to figure out, is that something that's good for us and can we do it? And, you know, how can we make it work? All right. So we got the good. Let's get to the ugly. So over the years, we've all made those investments. We thought we're going to be fantastic. You've probably got a horror story about something you invested in. What was the worst investment or, or the investment that just didn't quite pay off like you thought it would? Yeah, that's that, it's really tough. I, I think I, I think there are things that took longer to pay off than we thought we should. Or, you know, we, we thought they should, and sometimes it was our own fault, right? There, there are other things where the dynamic of our business changed. So we made, so take for example, you know, ten years ago we made a huge investment in some warehousing and stuff like that, and for for a bunch of clients that we were doing a bunch of warehousing for, well. It was not really our core business. It was a nice business to have. We did a lot of it. We did it pretty well. We made some money with it. But then as those customers transitioned or changed, we couldn't replace the business fast enough. So the investment that we made in that, you know, probably didn't pay off all like it should have. However, it opened an opportunity for us to do something else. So we were able to repurpose the space and it enabled us to expand into something else. Yeah. 
The other thing I, I wanted to comment on, you know, I noticed with your business, you te- tend to be the guys that take on the weird, the wonderful, oddball projects, you know. Um, and somebody uh, gave me a phrase the other day that actually reminded me very much of you, Jim. And they said, I take on the work that other people don't want, so I get the work that everybody else can do. Um, and and I look at the way your business has grown over the you know ten years we've known each other, and you know you've you've sort of been able to hit a, a good streak of of picking the right markets, the right customers at mm-hmm. the right time. Yeah, yeah. How do you do it? <laughs> you know, I I think part of it is um, that there's this idea that you know we're as a company and as owners we're engaged, we're engaged in the business, we spend time. Uh, spend a lot of time listening to other people. We we don't make a lot of rash decisions, although sometimes it seems like we're bleeding edge. Well, it's never a rash decision. Uh, there's a thought process as to how we get there. And, and, and I wouldn't say that we have a crystal ball, but I will say that if you look at our history of timing of our investments, and I'm by no means a market timer, uh, we've actually been very lucky in, in our, in our, in our thought process and, and uh, the things we've done have, have really paid off. So let's let's take the crystal ball. Um, five years from now, mm-hmm. where do you see PDC Digital? What do you see yourselves doing? You know, what is what does PDC look like five years from now? Yeah, you know, we've already started to talk about what we're doing next. And I, so at the beginning of 2020, we we made a huge change investment in our digital platform and how we do things from an automation standpoint in terms of finishing. And I can tell you that we wouldn't have gotten through 2020. Uh, and into this year without having done that. It allowed us to pivot when we needed to, when things got shut down due to the pandemic and really deliver to our customers. And so they they were calling us for help and we were able to help them. And that could never have happened had we not made that change. I think what we're going to see over the next few several years is really a bifurcation in our business that for years we've been a hybrid shop where you had digital and offset. And those things kind of really play together. And there are projects that could you could go back and forth with. You say, oh, we could do it digitally, we could do it offset. And I think what's happening from a, an operational standpoint and a planning standpoint and, and the way our business looks, that there's going to be this really distinctive line between offset and digital for us, mainly because digital can do higher volumes, more cost effective. So there's no reason to even think about them from an, off- an offset standpoint. And so the offset business is going to grow, hopefully to a, we're looking at growing that business, you know, 20% a year, 25% a year over the next several years with some equipment changes and 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 really separating it in terms of our thinking from our, our digital operation. I, I, I kind of, that's the feeling we have. So, and that's kind of how we're looking at it. Perfect. So do you feel like you got all the software tools in, in your bag right now that are going to help you get there in the next five years? No, not at all. No, we're, 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 no, we're, 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 we're thinking about that too. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I like the fact that, you know, you're thinking about the software. I mean, we hear uh, it's, it's amazing. Uh, and I'll hark back to my previous life. It's amazing how many people would get this amazing new piece of equipment and it had an amazing performance and it was so much faster and they could produce so many more plates or so many more prints but they didn't think about the front end. How am I going to feed the beast? Right. You know, what is that work going to look like? Where's it going to come from? And how am I going to get it into the system, so to speak? Yeah. Look, if, if you, if you want to look at it from a pure number standpoint, right, there's two ways to always look at, look at the equation, top line and bottom line. So if you can't 
grow organically and increase your top line, then you got to look at your bottom line. And sometimes the only way to increase your bottom line is to grow your top line. <laughs> those are challenges, you know, that, that always exist. And, 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 and we have to think about those. One thing I want to mention, you know, we, we talked a lot about technology. I, I, I would also say that, and we're very blessed to have this, that we, we have some really good people. And some of those people aren't as technical as, you know, as you would think would exist in an organization like ours. You know, some of these people are, you know, very salt of the earth, ink in their veins people. But the part that they understand is there's still a big craft to what we do. And, and, they, and they understand that importance. So the software just becomes a conduit to get stuff to them to do. And, and, and I, we try to, sometimes I lose sight of that because I, I just want to throw software at things all day. And, and, and it, it doesn't, you know, if something doesn't look right on press, it's not because of the software. And, and we've, we've always had this, you know, someone says, oh, the color bars look great. Well, we don't sell color bars. Our clients don't pay for <laughs> color bars, you know. And so the, there is a little bit of that that, that that we have to not lose sight of. Yeah, and I think that's a, a really good point. You know, the the software is really, in many ways, the manifestation of the understanding of the art and craft mm -hmm. of putting ink on substrate. Sure. And and these guys that, as you say, ink in their veins, salt of the earth people, they understand what needs to get done. They know the processes that need to happen, and they really just need to partner with someone who understands the technology to show them a way to automate it or create that automation for them. Right. You know, I say there. Are, you know, there are a million things that happen here throughout. You know, throughout time because of software and and how things happen. There are also a million things that go out the door right because someone actually knows what they're doing, and it's not even related to software. That's a great way to to look at it, Jim. Well. I got to say, um, always entertaining to have a chat to you, my friend. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Stay well and uh, really appreciate your time today. Yeah, and, and you know, you got to get to the East Coast for some cheesesteaks. <laughs> Sounds great. All right. Thank you. Thanks. That's going to do it for us here on Imaging of Things. I want to thank Jim Rosenthal for being here with us today and for all of you out there listening. I want to leave you with a little fact I found interesting. NASA is actually working on how 3D printers can be used to construct buildings on lunar surfaces. The idea is to send those robots with 3D printing equipment so that they can construct infrastructure on those lunar surfaces. With that, thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Until next time, I'm Nick Benkovich, and thanks again for listening to the Imaging of Things from EFI Printing. Music